First Nephew's Log. Stardate 492-4379.x74. Oh, I'm ever so excited that my uncle Jean-Luc Picard is going to come and visit us here on the farm. I'm ever so excited to hear what it's like up on a starship. I'm even writing this down in an old-fashioned quill and ink because technology is evil. And my father would be ever so unhappy with me to think that I had dreamed of riding in a starship my own self. (sighs) (laughs) Welcome to Reengage, a podcast full of Gen Xers reliving that wonderful series that introduced us to characters of our own within the Star Trek universe. I am, as always, joined, or I am Eric Curry, I should introduce myself. Uh, I am, as always, joined by my Cultural Bridge family, I will call them today, in a special nod to this episode titled Family, whose theme is, say it with me, Family. Family. Oh, my friends, welcome to a wonderful episode of Reengage. Uh, how are you doing, Kate? I am uh, just living for Rene Picard and hoping that, uh, <laughs> that, that your voice will come back in that exact timber someday. Uh, Jimmy, how, how's it going with you today, man? Well, it's going rather well, Mr. Curry. Thank you for asking. I do want to address one elephant in the room. I don't think there should be any hubbubaloo about why my family for generations has had a British accent in France. As the Americans say, it ain't your business. <laughs> they even forgot the words to the French song they were trying to sing when they were drunk. <laughs> Greg, what's up with you on this fine, fine, beautiful day? I am excited to talk about swimming. And Atlantis projects and uh, <laughs> old friends and family. Yeah. Fun. Oh, all things that we will touch upon as we deal with this wonderful episode. We have noticed already that it is titled Family. It first aired October 1st, 1990. It is the second episode of this, the fourth season of Star Trek The Next Generation. It was written by Ronald D. Moore. And directed by Les Landau. Thank you, Memory Alpha. Um, Greg, what was going on in the world around about the 1st of October 1990? So we're still in the throes of the lead-up to uh, the U.S. and many other countries getting involved in the liberation of Kuwait. Uh, As we said last week, Saddam Hussein uh, invaded in August, and here we are still trying to drum up support. On October 1st, the day this aired, George H.W. Bush made an address in front of the UN General Assembly, and uh, I got to look at the text of that, and it's notable how much he put this invasion in the context of the German reunification that was going on at the same time, and all the kind of things that we've been talking about of uh, democracy kind of gaining steam uh, in the late 80s and uh, 1990 and how this put a whole wrench into all of that and how they would solidify their support uh, around 
the Kuwaiti people and liberating them. Of course, we know there's a lot more context behind all of this, but it was uh, interesting to read uh, at the same, uh, at, you know, the kind of propaganda-ishness of uh, George H.W. Bush's, uh, you know, UN address. October 3rd, this is for you, Eric. Uh, one George- That's my dad's birthday. Yeah, well, and you got a little gift here. It was the end of this baseball season and George Brett won the AL batting title for that day and that season. He's the only uh, person to win the batting title in three decades. Three decades. <laughs> He's like, I know what this is gonna be, I'm gonna say it. Uh, right, so he won it in 76, 1980, and 1990. Good for him, George Brett. Well, that was a fantastic time period, except for all the war and other bad <laughs> stuff that you talked about. Uh, Kate Yeager. How are you? We've we've covered that, unless you want to cover it again. Why don't you tell us what was happening in pop culture back then? I would love to. Uh, on the Billboard Top 100, Nelson couldn't live without your love and affection. I can't live without your love and affection. Great fucking song. I can't waste another night on my own. <laughs> nice. Uh, Love it. On the Gunner and Matthew. Yes, Gunner and Matthew. Oh, those Nelson boys. Whatever happened to those Nelson boys? Prison. No idea. Oh, shit. <laughs> oh, no. Well, that's canon. Uh, on the alternative music scene, uh, Never Enough by The Cure was number one. Uh, on the movie front, Pacific Heights. Uh, oh. Melanie Griffith, Matthew Modine, and Michael Keaton was number one. Hell yeah, that is a beautiful thriller. Love it. Uh, I have not seen it, and it reminded me that I need to see it, especially all of your reactions just now when I said it out loud. On television, the pilot episode of Beverly Hills 90210, that would be the first iteration of that, <laughs> premiered. Uh, on Broadway, Bugs Bunny on Broadway uh, debuted, which was the music of uh, Bugs Bunny Live, uh, accompanied by um, <laughs> animation. And Eric Curry is so excited by this that now uh, he he's frozen with it uh, forever. Uh, I didn't know that existed. I have to go find things about it on the internet. Yeah, it has toured uh, around the world and been viewed by over 2 million people. And uh, yeah, check it out. Uh, and finally, in legal First Amendment news, uh, we talked about Florida earlier, uh, talking about the Two Live Crew uh, album as obscene. And yeah. a Florida record store owner was found guilty of obscenity for selling two live crew rap records in Florida. Uh, but in Cincinnati, a jury acquitted an art gallery of obscenity for showing Maplethorpe photos. So we had a win and a loss for free speech. <laughs> well, that sounds about right. Uh, <laughs> thank you, Kate. Jimmy. Shall we delve into the episode itself? Uh, so this is the only episode to date in both TOS and TNG that has no scenes on the bridge. Love and it. It happens to be the lowest rated episode of the season. <laughs> <laughs> Pillar, one of the um, the, the the writer uh, for um, the episode. 
he actually uh, lobbied pretty hard with Bergman to make this episode um, part three of the best of both worlds. Uh, wanted to be a hard trilogy where we go roll right into this to put a little um, end cap on everything that had happened to in that episode and specifically to Picard. But uh, and Bergman was like, okay, that that it's fine. We can talk about that, but we need a science subplot to be our second story. And after toying with uh, uh, Boy Stowaway on the ship and paranoid schizophrenic with nightmares of pe crew members disappearing, those utterly failed. It was like, okay, we can do the whole family thing, I guess. <laughs> and uh, if you noticed, or may not have noticed, there is no data in this episode. And this might be because of, uh, they filmed these all out of order. So actually, this was filmed before the next two, uh, I mean, um, Brothers, the next upcoming episode was filmed before the next two. This one and the one that follows, uh, Suddenly Human. Um, and when we get to Brothers and talk about that, we'll understand why maybe Data or Brent Spiner took a little bit of time off on this episode. And uh, that's all we have from the Nemesic Files. All right. So diving into the plot and, uh, and the experience of watching this wonderful episode, in my personal opinion. I jockeyed for this uh, in particular because I remember, again, this episode was so important to me and I'm sure to all of you because this is around the time I was falling in love with theater and storytelling. And I don't know that this is the reason, but it's certainly one of the stories that was important to me that developed while I was falling in love with that anyway. Uh, and this is so actor-centric, this episode, uh, for basically every character that we've come to love. Uh, and Wesley. Come on now. So... Uh, I'm very excited to dive in. Uh, I'll do the guest stars as they arise in the in the plot, and uh, let's just start with the brilliant opening shot of the Enterprise in space dock, right the fuck in orbit above Earth. Like I love every single space dock. Uh, yeah, the claw. Right, it's got like a <laughs> spider-like kind of thing eating yeah. at the Enterprise slash building it back up again. Right. I, you know, and I'm, I'm just in love with every single version of this shot that exists in all sci-fi. It's, it's just basic. We got to repair the shit that got done to us most recently, or we're about to launch like the Titanic. <laughs> One or the other, this is the shot that you get. And it's just delightful to me. Uh, do you guys have similar kind of uh, shots to this that you think of in other films? The only thing that odd, is odd for me is because those Star Trek movies... Um, really established what space dock that's orbiting Earth looks like, right? Like, I have such a visceral view of that orbiting uh, star base and then the whole sequence of trying to escape with the Enterprise. Um, and right. I'm like, well, why isn't this just in there? Like, why is this new structure built around the Enterprise in order to make it a, a thing? Um, that was my only disconnect there. Otherwise, I, I really just love anything that establishes the fact that, uh, you know, this ship is a is a physical object that needs to be repaired. Uh, that that old dock is used for the shitty ships on the other side <laughs> of the planet now. This was the new dock specifically for this one and a couple other Excelsior class that might need a little upgrading. I, I think that's kind of how it worked out. Yeah, that makes sense. All right, so once we get past my uh, love of this opening shot, uh, we get Riker signing an email in the observation lounge and telling a staffer to carry that email to engineering for him. <laughs> uh, 
that if Worf comes in and he has upgraded the phasers and the power supply calibrations going really well, we get some good techno babble uh, for Jimmy. Jimmy. After our last guest, we have to call it Trek no babble. Yes, very, very good point. Uh, thank you for introducing us to that once again. Yes. It is brilliant and wonderful. So Riker is excited uh, that Worf's parents are on the guest list. This goes right from the beginning here. He, he says, enough about the techno- Trechnobabble. Let's talk about the fact that your parents are coming on board. And Worf's like, oh, no, no we don't have to talk about that. Uh, where did you first go with this? Did you go right to the actual um, motivations for Worf being hesitant of his parents' arrival? I went to the, uh, you know, it's embarrassing to have such loving, supporting parents. (laughs) 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 Especially at that age when I was, you know, 10, 11, 12. uh, You know, my dad, it's a, you know, this is a tiny story, but my dad's not a sports fan or anything at all independently, but he would come and watch me play basketball and he was such a dork and cheering for me like, <laughs> good one you really made it in that basket you're good at basketball and uh, it was you know it was obviously very encouraging but it was also a little bit like okay you know tone it down a little bit dad uh don't love me my... that much right <laughs> <laughs> um and that's yeah i got that from more from from the get-go here and of course over the rest of the the episode well and, and you know we'll see that in direct contrast to uh, what went on with the Picard boys. Yeah. Uh, so we see three very different parenting styles uh, kind of <laughs> throughout this particular episode. Uh, two very present and one absent. Um, well, I guess four because we also get uh, Beverly's experience. Uh, so um, this one's a really nice introduction. The, the one truly stable, supportive family was by someone was for someone who also can't quite relate to the people who provided it. So no, no family is perfect seems to be the theme right off the bat. He says, we don't, uh, we don't talk about our failures in, you know, Klingon society. And, and what does uh, uh, Riker come right back with everybody? This is not a Klingon ship. I mean, kind of fair point, but like, He's talking about his family. (laughs) Not really the ship is the point, dude. (laughs) Anyway, uh, he says uh, maybe Worf is hesitant to see them because of his discommodation on the Klingon homeworld. Worf's not quite ready to hear that. Uh, Gives him a big nope and leaves. Well, like no human could understand. Which includes Riker, of course. He, he gets his own theme music and goes and feels his feelings. (laughs) uh, Which are all valid a thousand percent. Uh, it's it's interesting how much this has to say on uh, issues that are still very relevant now. We you know we as a society are still dealing with uh, you know adoption of uh, intercultural families uh, is the kind of nicest way to put it. Um, For sure, and some great acting here by Michael Dorn of not because re- he could have gone you know very big and and blustery here, but he is very actually uh, fairly reserved in his discomfort maybe it's because of trying to you know put on a good face for Riker but he does I think just contain a lot of conflicts internally that were like hmm I wonder why and of course we'll find out more uh, as we go on but like I just I just thought it was a really good moment for him not to go really really broad here like he was internal certainly uh I you know and I appreciate the story a little bit 
ago about your dad, I think all of us probably have real family connections to this episode, which again is called family. And is <laughs> wait, 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 what's this about? Family. Is this about family? <laughs> no. So, I mean, you know, my, I have an adopted brother and he's my big brother and that's, that's all I've ever known him as. And, and that, um, I know he has his own experience of, of what it's like to have, uh, parents who are so consciously supportive, but can never quite understand, um, and it, it makes me, you know, appreciate again, all over again, the, the things that he's dealt with in his life. Uh, and, you know, it <laughs> uh, we are recording this now not too long after this initially uh, aired. So we're talking about my, my late father's birthday was a couple days ago while I was watching this. Uh, so kind of throughout this, this hit right where it's supposed to with me. Uh, I hope it did with you all as well. Like, reinforcing that your complicated feelings about your parents, uh, whoever they might be and whatever the feelings might be, are, uh, are not uncommon in the universe. Uh, and that's what I, I love about this particular episode. Anyone want to comment on that or shall we go on with the plot? Your feelings are wrong. <laughs> Thank you, Jimmy. <laughs> Jimmy G has me when, I'm, <laughs> when I have a shoulder that is needed. Um, <laughs> So we move to Picard, gazing into his soulless reflection, lost in the chasm of his recent trauma. He falls into a pool of memory and sinks all the way to the bottom. But Troy is like, hey, ready for that vacation? Where are you going? <laughs> right. <laughs> and he comes with, well, I, you know, I thought I'd go home to my home village. And what does she say? Interesting. I hate it when I'm you I'm like, do that. is it? <laughs> Me too. Right, but like, it stresses is me it, out. Is it interesting? <laughs> it does. I was, I wrote that down a little later, Kate. I'm like, I would fire this therapist. I'm like, <laughs> yes. Why are you Why are you doing little funny right. little barbs at my trauma already? Like, <laughs> maybe give me give me a couple days. I have to call out though that cool shot of Troy in Picard's bathroom mirror. Yeah. Because at, at first my husband was like, is "She in his bathroom," and he was right. very worried. <laughs> uh, but then you know it, it pulls back to reveal. But I, that's just an interesting shot um, that I that I enjoyed. I noticed that too. I'm glad you wrote that down. It was really delightful. I hope you all go take a look. Plus, we get introduced. So, we get introduced to uh, bare-chested Picard that we'll be seeing throughout this entire episode. <laughs> that same. Yes, they they made sure that, <laughs> that the old men reintroduced yeah. his plunging <laughs> neckline. Have we forgotten archaeologist Picard yeah, already? I know, right? Borghini. Yeah. Oh, and the Borghini. Although I don't know that the Borghini was specifically intended to be sexy. <laughs> Look, maybe I'm just my listen, kink is not. Don't I'm yuck not, someone's yeah. yum. Right. You're right, everybody. Uh -huh. I'm sorry I hadn't thought that. Don't way. diss my proclivities. Bring out the gim. <laughs> I never would. But I mean, like, okay, Troy, you caught me going home while we're parked right above it. Like, I don't understand the implication beyond we have plot to cover. So I think right. that's a fair comment. I think I think she's I mean, a little bit. I mean, I don't know if it's necessarily effective. But I think she's poking at the fact, like, "Hey, you never talk about your family with me. Why are you choosing to go yeah. to your family? Like, this seems like a closed-off part of your life, but you're embracing it now. Why are you doing that?" And I think he's not ready to talk about it. Mm -hmm. And that that was yeah. kind of, I felt I felt like it was almost like a little bit of like, "I know this is important to you, but you haven't expressed why it's important to you to to me, your counselor." Go ahead, Kate. I got the opposite. <laughs> Uh, mm. which was, I know that your family is fraught. I know that this is something that brings you great tension. 
So mm-hmm. here, when you're at your sort of most uh, vulnerable, it's an interesting choice that you would choose to go somewhere that's so triggering for you. If you were Picard, and and the therapist said, it, in, in the therapist, instead of being oblique about it, had said what Kate just said, <laughs> what do you feel like would happen? Like, would Picard go, I don't want to talk about it right now? Or would he say, oh, no, but that's, you're right? Or would he say, because I love... I, ha- I did not pick up on what you're saying, Kate, and I think you're absolutely right. Like, that's exactly what was intended by that. I, but it just seemed interfering to me. I think it's the growth. Like, we needed, like, I, I, you know, regardless of whether or not Troy is good for a good counselor for saying it, I think it's the growth that the audience needs to see because here he is unable to kind of really admit that he needs help from his older brother. And then by the end of it, he does kind of admit that. So I, th- I think plot-wise, that's why that seems there. But you, I I don't know how I would react if someone was just like, well, why are you doing that? I'm like, well, I don't know yet. I don't know <laughs> yeah. yet. Well, if you're it's in – If I'm in her office, her counselor area, I, I might act very differently. But when I'm on my vacation garb and I'm in my bathroom, <laughs> these <laughs> questions are absolutely inappropriate. And don't ever kiss me on the cheek. Like, that is... Yeah, that was a bit you, much. That's, that's way over the line. I, I, I go into these questions in this episode a lot because I only have older brothers and, like, I was the son who left. Mm. So, like, these are the things <laughs> this episode, like, speaks to me. <laughs> go ahead, Kate. I love that little moment, you know, at the end, though. I think it's very, it's just a really nice, very clear storytelling moment that's so simple when he picks up the books and then is like, nope. I don't want that mm. fight or I don't want, you know, like I just, it's, it's so telling. I love it. But <laughs> after that too, when he put the books back and then he heads out with confidence and then stop. And then the only reason to turn back around in my opinion, which is what he does, you know, beyond the, the soap opera moment, the reason to turn back around is if he's actually thinking for a moment about staying like he, it, he hesitates so specifically, uh, it's it's neat because you you do see him only kind of half try and convince Troy with that little muscle move. You know, I'm fit. You know, he's not really trying hard. But then when he had started to leave and put the books away, that's a decision. And then he goes and then he stops. And they give him a chance to show that much stuff without any lines. And it's really neat. Uh, there is a lot of story information in those in those quiet moments, right? Because you're like, you're right. He could have almost not gone at that moment, or maybe he's going to go to Risa and, and have one of his archaeology adventures as a as a vacation rather than what he's. I think the you mean the Risa of Earth, which, as we know, is Jersey City, New Jersey. <laughs> in the 24th century, it is uh, Adventureland. Yes. Perfect. Then we get another awesome space dock shot. I'm going to call all of them out. We get like nine of them. <laughs> uh, so we're in the uh, the transporter room, and Worf is fretting because his parents are coming. And what is he blaming his fretting on? That she's late. She's always late. She's always late. And O'Brien helps out with what? Women, Misogyny. am I right? <laughs> Uh, well, uh, you know the women. I, 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 I. Uh, me own dad, he says, used to, used to, me own dear departed pap, oh used goodness. to chase the nurse around 
every time he came to visit me. Hi-ti-toy. That was a scene I, from Finnegan's Rainbow. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Dancing at Lunasa. Uh, I, um, I, I mean, just I, amazing. aside from the misogyny in, inherent in O'Brien's thing, I do like the like idea of it being, you know, oh, there's always something with parents. There's always... There's always oh, yeah. something to complain about when you're trying to, to, to show that you're a grown-up now. I don't need you to do the parenting thing quite so much. Just be just be cool. And it's even more fun when it's a character like Worf. You know, they, they like finding times to make him nervous, and I'm for it every time because Michael Dorn's up to it. Have, yeah, Kate. He just has that great line moments later, I wish they would come so it would begin and end sooner. <laughs> like is so real about anything <laughs> that I you know like that I am dreading you know or that that sort of just like it's that waiting period <laughs> it's just someone please make it start so it can stop <laughs> yeah we've all been there oh I love it all right so we got a communication from earth station Bob Bruisk uh, which is in Belarus, where uh, where Worf was raised, um, and they uh, send two happy Bolsheviks up to uh, see Worf. Uh, we we get we get some fantastic people. Let me tell you about Sergei Razhenko, who is of course Theo Bikel. This is Theodore Bikel, the ninth president of Actors Equity. The dude was literally a rock star. He founded the Newport Folk Festival. Uh, Newport Folk Festival. I said Newport, I think, and <laughs> that's a new folk festival, and I, I'm for it. He founded the Actors Federal Credit Union. The dude no originated Captain Von Trapp in uh, The Sound of Music, and he is Austrian. He played Tevia more times than any other actor on Earth. He has 37 folk albums and films like The Defiant Ones, for which he got an Oscar nomination, The African Queen, The Enemy Below, I Bury the Living, which if you have not seen this movie, you have to go see I Bury the Living. It's the month for it. My Fair Lady, The Russians Are Coming, The Russians Are Coming, Diary of Anne Frank, A Stoning in Fulham County, one of the great TV films, and guest star spots in the dozens. But wait! There's more. He's joined... By Helena Rojenko, played by the great Georgia Brown. She named herself after the song because she was a hugely successful cabaret singer, and that was her signature tune. Wow. She was a recording artist whose breakout role on stage was the original Nancy in Oliver in the original London production, which was the first production. She and Davy Jones did a couple scenes from the Broadway uh, production on Ed Sullivan the very same night as The Beatles. Wow. Um, she got a Tony nomination for that. She created the BBC series Shoulder to Shoulder about the women's suffrage movements in England in the late 19th and early 20th centuries. Back to Broadway with Side by Side by Sondheim and other shows until she created Dorothy Brock in 42nd Street. Another Tony nom as Mrs. Peachum in the three-penny version on Broadway with Sting as McKeith. She passed away not long after this role in Star Trek The Next Generation in her late 50s. Very very young but here those two superstars of theater are Worf's loving adopted parents um, dad is a former chief petty officer in engineering and wants to see the ship right away and Worf is like no dad and mom says his hair is too long and what do we think of the parents right off the bat 
they are I, I love that they kind of really c- uh, kept this metaphor going that Worf was uh, the adopted son of you know the, uh, formerly the enemy who is not our enemy anymore and they really did that home by making her you know his parents Russian uh, so that all of us could have that oh, the Cold War kind of uh, feeling here and I remember remarking over the last, or previous three seasons, like we never get to see Worf's parents. We never get to see them. Like they're so important to him as a person like, and get their relationship. And so I was immediately like a, aha, like this is why Worf is the way he is type of a re- revelation almost as soon as we see them. And I just want to point out again, even more so, it's even one layer further, I think, because they made them Belarusian. Correct. Uh, which during this particular time in 1990 is a time of great upheaval within the entire uh, Soviet Union. So these parts of uh, what we know now as like the Russian Federation were very much in upheaval at this particular time. So it was a really interesting move to do that without naming Belarus. Anybody else on Worf's parents before we go on to some more exciting news? They're just fucking adorable. Like right from the beginning, like adorable and i would a hundred percent be mortified were they my parents right like i get it and i love it and it's just uh yeah it's such an entrance well and it's delightful that it's these two who are known throughout their careers as playing like these steely resolved uh even aggressive characters are playing these two balls of pudding like they're lovely (laughs) And, you know, uh, uh, Georgia Brown's eyes in this are just <laughs> these two enormous saucers the entire episode. It's wonderful. Um, all right. So we move to a long country road in the south of France, um, lined on both sides by grapes, I think. Uh, I didn't write any of this down. But we hear rustling in the bushes and we get a moment of dun, 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 and then who's there? And who is there, everybody? It's his, his uncle, uncle Rene. <laughs> oh, God, that joke doesn't work at all, and they insist on it. Oh, they try so hard. All right, so Rene, the son of his, bro- of his older brother, Robert, we find out later, is just kind of poking around in the bushes following him. And well, we get uh, a little back and forth. Go ahead, Jimmy. Just address the fact that Rene is obviously a late-in-life mistake. Like, Robert is about 170 years old. I thought it was a weird... I was trying to place the age of Rene kind of, like, immediately, and I could I was like, this is all over the place. The kid looks 9 or 10-ish, but is actually written to be, like, 5. <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, it, 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 some of the... Like, I don't know what arrogant means. Like, I, I don't know. Some of it just didn't seem like a real uh, uh, kid to me, but maybe that's just because he's a French kid from the future, so what well, do I know? <laughs> with a better actor, he would know what arrogant means, and he was just using it as an excuse to say arrogant son of a bitch because a kid wants to say arrogant son of a bitch, and the way they can do it is to pretend not to know what it means. But this kid ain't up to that no, at this that point in his young acting career. I do want to give a, it's a small um, shout-out, but to whoever the uh, crew member was who had to shake the bushes <laughs> on the, along the way as Ricard was walking by. Right. I thought that was... I didn't get it on the first. You mean the twenty-five PAs? <laughs> yeah, they're all like, "Okay, now you go, now you go, you, now you go." You know they had to had like four meetings about how to make those those branches shake. 
All right. So uh, David Birkin plays this kid, little Renee. He's still around. He did Sylvia with Gwyneth as well. He's the cousin of Charlotte Gainsbourg, apparently. And we're moving on because his parents are much bigger guests in terms of the overall guest star budget. Next up is the mom, Marie. She comes down the road. They greet each other like old friends when they, in fact, have never met, we learn. Um, this episode spent all of the money on guest stars because, geez, that's Samantha Egger. William Wyler's The Collector made her famous, if you've never seen it. Awards and noms all over. Fantastic. She plays the lead in this thriller that you are going to love. So The Collector by William Wyler. Uh, that was her first big one. Uh, but she was Dolly, uh, you know, she was in Dr. Doolittle, the Molly Maguire's one of my favorites, and the Cronenberg early masterpiece. She's the lead in The Brood, if you go back and watch that. Uh, after this, she's Hera in Disney's Hercules. Just mm-hmm. work, 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 work. She's brilliant. Um, but when they pan over to the house, like, it really all passes for this, like, vintage, wonderful uh, French winery until they show a shot that shows the house itself, which is such a clearly suburban Los Angeles, <laughs> um, 1970s wood frame fucking house. It's amazing. Uh, but the barrels are big and that goes a long way with me. I can um, see. And I, and you kind of know that those are props, right? Those that like, that looked like uh, stuff they'd gotten from the Ren fair. And they're like, let's just put this <laughs> in here and have, you know, some few workers in front of it so that it's, it's a winery rather than yeah. it's probably a garage, a three car garage. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So that's all brilliant. Uh, we don't meet her long, but we are enamored of her. She is charming, smart and welcoming a good mother clearly so we know we are about to meet the opposite if the dramatists have done their job and with that we go to see robert off in his vines he's eating angry grapes and then he smells his brother Um, this is jeremy kemp He's a memorable character actor from The 7% Solution, one of my all-time favorite uh, Sherlock Holmes movies. I recommend it, if for nothing else, for the British accent that Robert Duvall gives us as Dr. James Watson, Dr. John Watson. Uh, The only, to my knowledge, British accent Robert Duvall attempted, and it is worth the wait (laughs) if you have not yet experienced it. Um, He's in Four Weddings and a Funeral, uh, Operation Crossbow. I always think of Top Secret, Mm. And my dad's favorites, which we had on VHS, Winds of War and War in Remembrance. Great novels, interesting miniseries. Robert, he don't even look up at JLP until he says it's good to see you. That's such a fun choice all the way through that opening that he doesn't look up but doesn't make it anything reasonable to take as an insult. Like, it's so fucking brothers. Do you guys, do any of you have older brothers? I do indeed. Two of them. Yeah. How does this episode hit you on the reality scale? Totally, uh, totally uh, different because uh, I, I was, of course, the younger brother, uh, and I was the mistake. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so um, they, my older brothers, are are not as uh, bullying as I think Robert was, right? Which we we find out later. So it would be. A different type of feeling but oh like, mine neither but this idea of um you know the returning uh, uh prodigal son type of feel 
um, just really does hit home. Not only because of, not for me because it, it felt like my relationships, but the absence of how it felt like my relationships, right? Like, oh, he's your brother. You didn't even stand up or come out to welcome him. Like the, the unstated insults are, are really apparent, mostly by omission of, of, you know, how my relationship would have gone. Right. I don't mean to like throw my brothers under the bus or anything, <laughs> but like if I'd missed out on, you know, 20 seasons of harvest on the farm and I came up during a time when he's working on some shit on the farm, I, he would have been really fucking pissed at me. Uh, and I like that these, and again, you know, Mark and Angelo, I'm sorry if you listen to this, but I don't think you listen to this. <laughs> well, um, that speaks volumes too. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. I mean, you know, uh, but like the way they deal with these two people who clearly know each other so well because they grew up together in the moments where they're mean to each other but no one else can tell mm. these two do it so well i i think siblings and family members can insult each other in such ways that people who aren't part of that family can't even pick up on it even if they're in the room Go ahead, Kate. There's just two small digs that he does in this opening that are, I think, what you're talking about. He, first of all, he calls him Captain, yeah. which to yeah. me is just a dig, right? It's it's not brother or Jean-Luc or, you know, some other nickname. It's this small dig of, yeah, I know who you are or who you think you are. Uh, and then he just casually asks him if he got a shuttle from the town. Like, are you too soft to walk? You know, like there's just, to me, those stood out as digs because they are just sort of, yeah, I don't know. I love them. Yeah, agreed. I, I, I think the relationship is clear right off the bat and the writing gives the actors a lot of room and the actors pay a lot of attention to what's in the writing. It's a, it's a nice symbiotic relationship in these scenes. Can we talk a little bit about um, this... Uh this great matte painting shot that we get. Oh, we absolutely are. I'm here in all caps. Now there's a matte painting. Matte painting. <laughs> uh, go ahead, Greg. I just, it's so the, they pull away. Well done. I mean, I think the technology had caught up to uh, some of the matte paintings from the first season where they didn't have like insert shots like this, but um, for the best of both worlds, part one, they do it really well. And I think they use you know a similar technology here. There's a little bit of color that you can tell even in this remastered version, but like, it works really well to see uh, Patrick Stewart do that pause, look back, and then continue walking. And then we get this wonderful pan out of what a, you know, uh, the France of the 24th century looks like in, in rural France, you know, relatively rural France. It just, it felt like it was the necessary thing to put us in. This is still a sci-fi story, even though it is such a, you know, very ground level, um, you know, family based uh, uh, episode that we get for this. But great stuff. And of it is, of course, also in Star Trek Acid Party. This one uh, goes on for a long time. <laughs> well, because it's fucking gorgeous and there's nothing I would want to do if I were standing there more than, you know, get a little high, drink a little wine. <laughs> so the matte painting leads us to Troy and Crusher having four lines together and they can't even get past it without mentioning will riker um bechdel, bechdel. <laughs> yeah then suddenly there is a ring on the door and the dead husband box gets there <laughs> oh we've been waiting for the dead husband box um 
So a, a box of stuff left over from Jack Crusher, still the best fucking name in Starfleet. Slash wrestling. Uh, one box left over <laughs> from Jack Crusher, uh, who was a man of action. Uh, <laughs> and it turns out that included in that was a thumb drive with a video for Wes. This uh, rightly has Beverly having some feelings. Um, she's not even really sure what's on it. And uh, I guess it's time to give it to her man, son. Uh, so this, again, this is another of the, the several family dynamic things that we get. We get the completely absent father. Is that better than the supportive or the abusive one that we find out later Jean-Luc and Robert's father was? Um, the thing I love about this scene is that uh, they're trying to say to the audience we haven't had an episode around Wesley's dealing with his father's <laughs> death in a while mm-hmm. maybe he's <laughs> done with it he's fine with it now uh, yeah. they had a little bit of a, a reminder for all of us in Troy's lines um, but what do you guys think about I, I was trying to go back and forth on this Troy seems to be encouraging uh, Beverly to show this recording and I'm, I'm kind of of the oh, I don't know if you should uh, line I don't know what do you, what do you all think of 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 uh, Beverly questioning whether or not she should show this message. I think she absolutely should. I, yeah, I think the moral is very clearly on the moral and ethical thing is to do it. Yeah, for sure she should show him. What I want to know is what was that white garment at the top? Was that a negligee? Because <laughs> it seemed a little racy. Uh, and I like that. <laughs> well, he was a very fit man. I think uh, uh, the right negligence. No, we'll talk about Jack Crusher when we get to that scene. He would have worn it well. All right. Yes. Would, would you have watched that video first? Or no. do you think it's important to not, to not? I'm very big on people's privacy. If that was written, that was recorded for my child, I would not infringe on that and allow them that and then I would ask, is it something that I can see as well? But I would not have proofed it because one thing, if it was Lisa who done it, I would trust that she's not doing something that's inappropriate. Like there's, I, I don't see why there would be suspicion on what's in this, you know. And if the kid can save the universe several times, he can handle a letter from his dead dad. <laughs> Valid. Well, I mean, we still haven't laid to rest whether. Beverly killed him. So, like, what if there's evidence in this recording that implicates either Beverly or Jean Luc in the death of Jack Crusher? Just one more question. <laughs> I'll take the I'm case. Just saying. <laughs> All right. So, the best parents on earth, and certainly the best parents in Belarus are touring engineering with the best engineer currently circling the globe. I know Jordy is going to love these guys. Yeah. You guys picked up on that before it even happened, yeah? Yeah, he's like the the one you want to take your first date to. Like, he's the, the dad who's like, okay, I'm going to give you a chance no matter what. Like, of course, he's going to be very welcoming. And I thought, like, genuinely, like, he's like, sure, I'll show you around. Why are you being so totally. mean, Worf? Like, chill, dude. <laughs> This guy was an engineer. Let me talk engineering yeah, with your pop. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, they, they're finishing up a great story about Worf kicking the shit out of some bullies as a kid. Uh, Worf's like, oh, Dad, you're going to embarrass me in front of my friends. Right. And uh, so Mom 
kind of leans in and says, that's enough, Sergey, and asks Worf to take her off to the indoor forest and uh, a magical little walk with Mama. And then uh, immediately, Dad is like, cut the bullshit, Jordy. I'm worried about my son. And then that's all we get. What do you think? Uh, I mean, we think it's clearly the... Uh, this accommodation yeah dad's no fool yeah and that for me was the first time like i thought it was like oh they're just trying to make the you know the embarrassed son bit because they didn't come across of having an ulterior motive for being there other than the embarrassing parent bit and then when he says i want to ask you something about my son it's like oh these guys there's way more to these two characters than i assumed in the first few scenes and they're here for some serious shit all right so we're off to dinner with the loving family in front of the hearth um, Marie tells him Louie wants to hear from you. He's trying to raise the ocean floor, and everybody just goes, oh, that Louie. I'm like, is he a terrorist? Right. <laughs> what are you fucking talking about he's trying to raise the ocean floor? Get out of here. Uh, Louis sounds like a dick. Uh, <laughs> and then Robert kind of shits all over everything that that uh, that happens with Picard, but but, like, very slyly. You know, like, don't cancel the parade for you. It's a parade. You know that you want the parade. It's <laughs> uh, <laughs> like, no, it's just, I think so. Was it, uh, was it a character choice? I, I don't, I've seen this guy a bunch, but I don't remember uh-huh. the actor. He looked like a puppet in this scene because his lower lip just <laughs> would stick out every time he talked. And I didn't know if it was, he was doing a drunk thing <laughs> or if this is just, uh, his biology is autonomy. Like it, it, his lip just pops out that way, but uh, it's a little distracting. It did for seem. Me. I don't know. I don't have answers for you, Jimmy. <laughs> that was him trying it's, to act never... French. He's like, this is how. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is what French people are. Me, me. Yeah. Um, He's not wrong. I, I love. This is the one uh, conversation where I really got like this was in some ways conservative versus liberal like this felt like oh, yeah. the plot of family ties like this felt of like the idea of like now this is someone who's trying not to to all your all your fancy conveniences are not good you know you don't even understand how alcohol works anymore uh you know yeah, like and I, not going in the old ways you know i and i was like oh, okay that seems like a schism that would make sense as to why they haven't talked in 20 years well, but I also don't think it's necessarily always a liberal versus conservative thing, the, quite the way it is right now. But it's always there as a generational thing. You know, it, I don't think they're one year or even two years apart. But I think the older brother is clinging to the ideas of the dad, yeah. and the younger brother is moving forward. Um, and it's it's super interesting kind of all the way through for, for all those reasons. I'm, I'm, I don't have anything to add to what you just said, Greg. <laughs> <laughs> Why am I talking? I, right. I love the so, moment. Ahead, I Kate. just love the moment uh, family dynamics wise when Picard misdates the wine by a year and that's huge, right? That's family yeah. business. That's, that's like, that's you've changed. I knew you changed. I just, it's a, <laughs> yeah. yet another brilliant small moment that speaks volumes to this family relationship. Totally. Yeah, that, that gets into the big city, uh, the big city boy made you saw. Yeah. You know, kind of, kind of stuff. Right. As well as the like, of course you won the ribbon. I love that 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 exchange of like, no, you're yeah, you got an A plus. Don't be freaking modest about it. Every you know, you're you're everyone's golden child. Uh, I I love that dynamic because I understood a little bit more of 
that younger brother is outperforming the older brother jealousy that can exist. Well, and the generational thing is coming up again because it looks like the son is going to outperform the father uh, and take after Jean-Luc uh, more than Robert, and that's what this is all really about. Yeah. Uh, you know, leave my kid alone to raise as I see fit is kind of the, the whole thrust of this visit on Robert's side. Or as long as I'm alive to see fit. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. He's old. Uh, so <laughs> He's 170. And as you um, And uh, so then we cut to, uh, you know, Louie and old JLP taking a stroll in their, in their uh, chesty shirts. Pajamas. Um, <laughs> is this like, and is the canon here that this area of France is entirely populated by British expats? <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's kind of a, a – they're trying to claim it back the way oh. that, you know, Henry II and most yes. of the English ruling class for several hundred years yes. were French. It's Normandy. So they're, they're trying to take all that back. Um, I like this friend relationship. This felt like yeah. uh, a really natural, well-written scene where you're like, oh, yeah, these, these two you know, had a lot of history. They know how to jibe each other without making it seem mean. Um, the bit about, you know, you're working on the ocean floor, but you don't know how to swim. You were always really bad at swimming, uh, you know, was a was a pretty decent joke there. I was like, oh, yeah, I, I could see. And it's nice to actually see Picard with um, some peers, right? Like to see him with classmates rather than yeah. uh, everybody always just doing what he says on the Enterprise or, you know, old admirals would be like, he was a marathon runner and he will always be a marathon <laughs> runner in my mind. <laughs> Well, and they have some nice, you know, stupid banter back and forth. Let him do that old vaudeville gag about, you know, if it wasn't for you, I wouldn't have been on the bike ride with the Moore twins. It's like, and you wouldn't have broken your leg. And say, or gotten married twice. twice. To the twins, uh, I assume, right? That was the story? Yeah, yeah I mean, that's, that's, the, that's the shtick. It's, it's good work. <laughs> um, so, Lewis here. <laughs> this is uh, Dennis Cregan. If we're going to keep going with the guest star budget on this one, which we are, <laughs> from Broadway's original Elephant Man with Bowie. And he had a terrific ongoing career, including an episode of Evil just this year. A lot of stuff like Third Watch, Ed, Law & Order. This is definitely a, a New York City guy. Thomas Crown Affair, Superman 4, The Quest for Peace, and every TV show that existed in the 80s and 90s. I will single out Jake and the Fat Man because I always do. Uh, well done, Dennis Cregan. Um... They throw Jimmy some prime techno babble about the ocean floor stuff again. Uh, and Louis says, there's a good gig. There's a gig for you, dude. What do you think? Uh, but I bet you would never leave Starfleet. And then what does is, what is Picard do there? Maybe. Yeah, he says, yes, yes. Um, he doesn't say no. Yes, no, I would, never, I would never leave Starfleet. He has that, that nice long pause into the distance before he says it, and you bet your ass Louis picks up on that shit. Then we move forward to 10 forward. Brilliant. Hey, hey, I only have like three or four transitions in me. <laughs> uh, the parents and Worf just kind of stand in there. They're like, your friends really like you, Worf. They think you're great. You're the best, Worf. And Worf is like, um... I, I think you need to chill out. Um, but they're just really excited to be there with him. And then suddenly the call comes in from Riker, Worf. we got to talk about those phaser tests. All right. 
They give themselves a little worried conversation about their son. And from out of nowhere comes Guinan. Guinan. Just when we need her most. Uh, and what's Guinan's basic message to the parents, Kate? Uh, uh, no, she's very much like he looks to you as home, right? There's that extended metaphor of, uh, you know, they're like, oh, we didn't do anything special. And she's like, I think he's pretty special. Uh, I thought I I think it's interesting that we get to hear more about how they raised him, you know that they mm-hmm. let him drive his own journey, you know, with his Klingon, uh, uh, who he was. I just think that that was they're good parents. They're just great parents, and Guinan wants them to know that. Uh, and and she can tell because how he looks out the window towards home. I love the line. And he's looking their way. Yeah, towards their way. Yeah. I love the line that uh, the mother gives to Guinan, and it speaks volumes as to their struggles raising him, where it was, it was a hard adolescence. And I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. Like, I can, I just, you get these little tidbits of Worf's um, backstory in ways that don't, you know, it doesn't feel like they're ham handing anything here. It's just like, oh, yeah, no, I can infer a lot as an audience member as to what that means. um, I also really like the detail. Uh, I don't know if you guys picked up on this uh, in same, the same way that I did because I wanted to ask you. the When Riker asks to, oh, you got to come up and do some phaser test conversation, I feel like Worf was happy. He was like, oh, good. I don't have to be with my parents anymore. I can go back on duty. And they but knew he that. he was also scared about what they would do without him. <laughs> right, and I think that's what propelled you know. their sadness into this scene with Guinan was that like I don't, our, our son doesn't yeah. want to be with us and is embarrassed by us being here. This was a big mistake. I think he probably well, asked and... Riker, "Hey, can you call me in fifteen minutes?" <laughs> that's, that's a, <laughs> I was thinking the same thing. <laughs> I love it, Cannon. Um, and then the prune juice bit comes back, uh, which I also really like yeah, that's here fun. too, right? Like the, the Michael Pillar, uh, I, I love, I don't know if it was him that uh, did all this, but this episode really does seem to call back to a lot of previous episodes in a really, really interesting way. And this, this mm-hmm. being one of them. I love that. And, and the scene kind of wraps up with Guinan telling Worf's parents some things that Worf might not be able to. Uh, not necessarily, and certainly not at all breaking confidence with Worf, but telling them things they need to hear in order to treat Worf the way they, they need to continue to do so. It's, it's nice that, that friends reinforce family here in this instance. I'm a fan of this. So JLP is back down in his French uh, ness, and he discovers he's thinking about this new job that Louis teased. You know, he talks to Marie a little bit, and uh, she's like, is it about the Borg? And I really feel like everybody's kind of pushing him to be over the Borg shit really fast. Do we get the feeling that this is really only a couple of weeks later? Is that what you feel? Oh, yeah, totally. Like, I think he's still in the recovery mode. I mean, I think that's what Troy's concern was about. Well, they just got to Earth, so it can't even be weeks. It's got to be days, because they stopped the Borg in, like, between Mars and Earth, right? Yeah. I don't think they left. I think, yeah, they've been... Yeah, impulse power. They're getting to Earth quick. Uh, well, I also... This is the scene also where we learn that Marie has been keeping tabs on Jean-Luc Picard, which is why that warmth, uh, welcome was there, and they felt like they, they know each yeah. other a little bit more. It was because she was the one who was keeping in contact and, you know, I, I assume giving updates on their son and the farm and all that stuff where Robert kind of might have yes. never talked to him again. 
and it was the wife that, that she's kept keeping it. a first sister's in log jeez. Oh, <laughs> good night everybody thank you all right we're done good night <laughs> <laughs> thank you everyone i have come what i have set out to do i have done what i have sent out to do um but he considers it he actually is saying like he does i like that he confides in her not anyone else yeah yeah uh but you know she's the one that's there uh i i certainly think uh that the the brother you're right isn't going to come in and ask she's the warm one she's the one that's been trying to get these two back together uh before they die like she's young (laughs) 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 she's like i can see what you guys are doing you guys are old and drunk we may not talk about this again so i do just want to mention her relationship with robert it's really lovely because he is a crotchety old asshole, but never with her, mm. right? Like there is just some actual respect and love and, you know, she calls him out on his bullshit and he and he very readily is like, yeah, I know. Yeah, you're right. I don't know. I just really yeah. found their relationship fascinating. Especially in that dinner scene from before. Yeah, I do. I do see him. is hard, He's hard with Picard and then he like is... Uh, very respectful to everything that she's saying. I noticed that too, Kate. And uh, Renee as well. Yeah. Uh, he'll talk about how he thinks Renee's doing, you know, not going to go the right way when Renee's not in the room, but not when he's in there. Um, so uh, Robert comes in right at this point, the same time that Louis shows up. And uh, Louis just wants to set up, you know, just a you know, preliminary conversation. He's just, I want to put you in a room. I want to put you in a room. Just I want to put you in a room with guys, and and, and shit will happen. Who knows? Picard gets guys. really pissed off. He really too. does. He ramps it up. He's like, I didn't yeah. say anything. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> there are four lights. He's like, but you, but you blinked twice when I when I said maybe, and I thought that was the signal. I mean, it's been twenty years. My signals are a little off. He says. So he says, at least listen to them. And at some point, he kind of says, uh, okay, I will. You know, like he's basically there by the end of that scene. And we, we start to really see what a crisis Jean-Luc is in if he's thinking of leaving Starfleet, even for something like this that would excite him uh, normally. Uh, this would be a big change. Um, do you think the first time we went through this when we were kids that, that we were sucked in by this, that we thought he might leave? I'm not sure. I mean, it's a, it's a small little plot point here. Like, so I don't think we thought maybe like he was actually going to do it. But as adults watching this here now, I can see his his indecision. I think he is not sure uh, uh, acting wise, um, you know, does a very good job of just being like, no, yeah, he is actually wondering what his life would be like if he had not gone uh, and done all the choices that he had made and that were so important to him because he's afraid of being able to go back and and and, and be who he was uh, after the Borg took away everything that he was, we'll, which we'll find out. Like, I really, I, I think, I, I don't think I, I, cl- I clocked it back then, but here I'm like, yeah, no, I know, I know that feeling of like, am I doing the right thing with my life? And that's a huge, momentous, earth-shattering kind of crack in, in his arrogant <laughs> facade, you know? Yeah, we get, we get another... Another piece of metaphor from uh, uh, from Lacutus is uh, maybe he was just their metaphor for midlife crisis all along. <laughs> Some it's a Mazda Miata here. It's, it's yeah. whether or not he wants to raise Atlantis. <laughs> Go ahead, Jimmy. Uh, just playing off of what, what Greg said, 
I think it's so much that he was doubting his life before, just doubting his life moving forward. Like, yeah. yeah. He was fine with the choices he made. He just didn't, at that moment, he's like, I don't know if I can be a captain anymore. And just before we jump forward, um, there's also a callback here, because Greg had mentioned this, uh, when Picard is with his um, French-English buddy, uh, when he talks about the Tetonics, that's from like last season or so there was an episode where they shifted to tonic. So it's another like taking what happened and, and bringing it back as so that they're not all bottle episodes. Like this is a continuous universe. So it was a, another nice nod. I didn't realize that oh, was an fun. actual reference to, to an actual episode. That is really cool. I know. And of course all the commendation stuff for Worf, like it, that's, you can't have this episode without having the events of previous episodes informed. Right. This mm-hmm. thing, which is, I think, a, a, a big and important change for Star Trek franchises going forward. Agreed. But right now we have to talk about Wesley mm-hmm. and the Jack Crusher thumb drive. Um, go ahead. This is such a small scene. It's very short. And I feel like it was directed by Jimmy. Because <laughs> they give Wesley the message. He holds it, says nothing, <laughs> says nothing, says nothing. And then is about to say something, and the camera cuts away. Amazing. (laughs) Don't worry about it, kid. We'll fix it in post. I was very excited to go through this very quickly, but my goodness, that's better. Um, Yeah, just incredible dig on on Wesley Crusher in that particular moment. Well done. So, parents come to see Worf. I am glad you are here, he says. Yes, all of the good things that you were talking about with the heartwarming nature. (laughs) But is that a chair that he's in? Oh, my God. (laughs) The orbs thing? Is that a chair? What? <laughs> is that thing? It's a, like a, it's a sex chair, but also a dentist's apparatus. Right. And if- I did not clock it, but Kate is melting Aww. down, and yes. I cannot wait to go back and look. Yeah, it's a bit, because now you look back, he's like, anytime he's upset, is that where he goes? <laughs> That's his perch on one of the worms. And you can't sit on there. Like, you have to put your arm up and one leg stretched out. Like, you can't sit in it other than a very dramatic pose. Like, it's very warrior poet. That's that's how Klingons let each other know what mood they're in. <laughs> sit in. It felt very much like a bachelor um, in uh, you know, Los Angeles <laughs> with, like, the weird-ass $4,000 piece of furniture that i'm I'm gonna sit on it i bought it i'm gonna sit on it (laughs) i fucking love you so we come now to more heartwarming stuff (laughs) where he tells them uh first they say we didn't understand we'll never understand quite what it is but we didn't have to because we know what kind of man you are and then he says i must bear my dishonor alone and are they having that? They're not having no that. No way. We love you, dummy. And then it's so nice. Like, there's no big group hug. It's his big hand. And they both grab it with, like, both of theirs. And, like, it's the closest thing this family gets to a hug with a full-grown wharf. And they all mean it exactly as much as someone would mean a full-grown hug. And it's just a delightful little moment of acting. It really is. Oh, I get all teary. 
I think there's a nice bit of writing, one line. When Worf admits, he, he just flat out says, I did not want you here, but now I do. It's like, that was really concise and very Klingon. Yeah, that's fun. But now we got to talk about JLP day drinking. Mm-hmm. Uh, and his older brother coming in and be like, careful, you're not used to drinking the real thing. <laughs> uh, with his lip all the way out. With his, yep. Says, Shinthahol never leaves you out of control. This will, and I'd like to see it. And I'm like, you guys have different accents. (laughs) (laughs) But I think that line's important because it is exactly what Picard was dealing with, was that he could not control himself. uh, While while he was mortified, right? And I don't think I don't think his brother really understands the dig and how much it gets under his little brother's skin, and that's why he goes away. And it's again, I think that was a really brilliant way of 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 writing us into what this problem is going to be and how we're going to confront it is this the scene where they sit down and talk and he asks him directly what happened yeah. that's he asked him that but that he's chasing after him when he asked but they're him sitting that. at the table right for like a hot second yes. yeah yeah oh, i thought that was a cool scene too with the brother because nobody else was very direct like troy's playing at counselor with is it are you have you would you uh and he's just like what happened dude yeah. Tell me about and to that point, how you were taken over. And, like, what's up? <laughs> and, it, and to that point, Greg, I think he absolutely knew what he was saying to Picard when he said, I'd like to see you out of control. I think he came to this room to help his little brother in the only way he knew how. I think at this point, that's what a non-communicative big brother does in this particular situation is poke. Mm. Until you let it out, like we did when we were kids. When we were kids... We screamed at each other and we fought and then we cried and then we were better. So let's do that because this sulking shit, I want you to be able to fight with me. So he's come in here to pick a fight to make his brother feel better. I really, that's how far I go with this. Uh, I'm already giving him a little bit of benefit of the doubt with this particular fight. Uh, I, I feel like the writer has older brothers that have difficulty conversing and the thing that uh, now that makes a lot of sense and it's important that robert is there to see picard's reaction when lewis is like i set up this meeting like it, i think robert is like that's not the that's not my little brother that's not that's not who you are uh and that you're right i think that maybe you're you uh have a correct interpretation there where it is just like yeah i'm gonna keep on doing it and i like you know the concern is not necessarily do I want you to feel okay? It's more of the like, no, I'm just, I'm curious. I want to know what happened to you so that I can grok why you are so different than I remember you being and why you're having this indecision. Well, and, and even like, it's not fun fighting with you like this. Mm. It's fun fighting with you. This isn't you. This is, this is someone I can beat up in two heartbeats because he's not even being himself and he won't look at me in the eye and fight with me. Uh, I, I think it's, a very complex, wonderful situation. <laughs> and then it goes into this great long the, shot. I really love that long walking shot. Um, it's like almost a minute and a half long. It's yeah. super, um, you know, detailed. And you see that there, that entire thing play out while, uh, while walking through the vineyards of, of their youth. Like, you know, you could even see like they've done this path before a, a thousand times together while they were doing chores. It, yeah. And it's all um, well-tread ground. And it's, yeah, you're right. It is. They, they fall back into you know, the sibling rivalry really quickly. And I mean, on some level, Picard came down there for that, you mm-hmm. know, on some level, uh, that's what they've both been missing for 
however long it's been since their dad died. Like that, that kind of reconnection. Um, and then we get a fight here pretty soon, which is really fun. Um, but at this point, it's still a bunch of Frenchies ask, acting like Englishies. Um, we talk Borg, we talk humiliation or humility, either would do. Oh, I love that one. Um, you're running, I'm not a hero, cancel your parade. Like they go back and forth really well. Um, so then we get to why did you come back? Did you want me to look after you again? And that's, that's kind of the point that I was making, right? And at that point we get to the punching and the rolling. What did you all think of the fight? I love the fight. Me too. I loved it. I think the music does a lot of work here uh, because this could be laughable from the beginning because they're just old Frenchies rolling around in the mud, really. But like the music really does give it a sense of drama and danger that isn't really there, I don't think. And then when it drops out and you kind of you can kind of see that they're you know, you're just grunting and pushing. You're not really trying to hurt each other. You're just kind of. <laughs> being brothers and once you grok that that's where you start to see the smiles and then that's where the laughter overtakes the uh dramatic score uh so like it, it heightens it and then it brings it like back down immediately i thought that was uh important it's about control and victory not pain and that's that's a lot of fights if the fight director will allow it to be and the actors will allow it to be it's about someone assuming and someone relinquishing control and it, this one is about so many of them they both do it at the end you know um it's the tale as old as time you know that they the, the warriors meet and fight and then they end up friends <laughs> yeah sing it jimmy uh, <laughs> um i, I want to say as the conclusion came to that fight like when they started laughing instantly i was like oh that's bullshit you're not gonna start laughing that's a trope get out and then it immediately went into what it did. And I was like, oh, my goodness. It was worth it. I don't care about the laughter anymore. Every <laughs> single trope works with good actors. I even think it was probably, you know, somewhat improvised. But the moment in the fight that it all starts to fall apart and devolve into just falling down, there's a moment where Picard is about to punch him and he just kind of hesitates and then just, like, puts his hand on his arm. And for a second, it looks like a mistake until they both kind of push each other down together. And I've decided that it's it's still in character looking at it. Yeah, I think it's a brilliant little move where you can see the moment that they both end the pretense that they're going to really hurt each other. It's, it's a little <laughs> pulled punch. I love it. Although those grapes, they um, don't talk about how the, the vines get destroyed in this fight. That's the real, the real <laughs> danger. I feel like uh, uh, there should have been at least some for line for Robert to be like, ah, oh, now I've got to heal this vine too. Uh, the Picard fortune. It's it's so tenuous in the best of times. I love I love how uh, smart Robert is uh, in this moment, where he basically is like, "Yeah, it fucking sucked, and you're gonna have to live with it." And you can either do that below the you know ocean or above the clouds, but you can't run away from what happened. Like, change of scenery is not gonna solve this for you. It's yeah. just very, it's well done. I also like yeah, that. Yeah, the bully as tough love that is, is good. Robert says the one thing that probably Jean-Luc Picard needs to hear. He says it in an insulting way, but it is. I still don't like no, you. No, it's, you're still a human. <laughs> you are fallible. You're not a Borg, was the kind of the subtext that I was getting there. Mm -hmm. Right? Like, it's, it's, you're, 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 you are who you are. They didn't take you away even though that's what you're you're admitting here uh and i i i think it was what 
we needed to hear. And then they go, you know, I did come back so that you could help me. And he says, I still don't like you. <laughs> With a big smile and a hug. Then they so drunk. Yeah. <laughs> so they're drunk, drunk, drunk. What happened here? I fell down and then he fell down. Uh, I love and it. And he fell down and then we, we both fell down together. And it was we fell down. It's really fantastic. That was cute. That really did feel like a yeah. uh, like a like a sketch comedy, like a, a um, strange brew type of conversation. Yeah, like I mean, again, these these are two guys who came up in British classical theater at the same time in the '60s. They clearly have known each other for twenty some years at this point. It's fun to watch some of this. So he just gets up drunk and says, we're not fighting. Um, I'm canceling the meeting and going home. Goodbye. (laughs) You don't get get to walk away from a bender like that. That's not how it works. This isn't Synth Hall. It was the real hall. Yeah, you don't just like, fine. I'm going back to my ship now. Make make the boy Rene clean it. (laughs) 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 Uncle Rene. Too sweet. Um, so they go from there to Wes at the at the arch of the holodeck, about to go in. Uh, he enters, and in the creepiest possible setting, uh, just alone in the checkered walls of the holodeck, in his uniform, stands uh, Jack Crusher, played by Doug West. He's still plugging away. Lots of guest stars like this. Uh, 666 Park Avenue, somewhat recently. Law and Order SVU, SG1, Spencer for Hire. Lots of good work. Thank you, Doug West as Jack Crusher. He tells Wes that he won't be this guy anymore when Wes is an adult, ironically being very correct. Um, <laughs> it's a clunky bit. Like, I, I think I end up really liking the fact that he doesn't really say much because it's the first time he's ever tried anything like this mm-hmm. and he's all clumsy at it and does bad dad poetry and it's just like uh i guess i'll talk to you soon and that's all you get yeah. it's a very like for me yeah go ahead go. i was just saying for me literally all i have left uh you know again because it was uh this week that was the third anniversary of my dad mm-hmm. passing like i go back and listen to what i have left of his voice and it's before i i threw my last phone out while I was standing at like Best Buy a few months after he died it occurred to me that I had a bunch of his voicemails so I emailed all of them in line to myself and so now I have all these random ass voicemails from my dad that I listen to about Chiefs games and uh, movies and uh, you know various family stuff and, and Kansas City stuff it's got almost nothing to do with me um and it doesn't really matter. I just love having it. And like the this series of messages that he has for Wes doesn't really seem to be much to do with Wes. It's just like, I'm your dad. Bye. And it's it's kind of nice that way, in, in my opinion. What were you going to say, Kate? Uh, I was thinking about it as, as a very difficult acting exercise. Um, because you've got, it is stilted, right? Which makes sense because it's, done in the style of the well I don't really know what I'm doing so I'm just winging this thing but the whole time you've got a real human being that's connecting with you and you can't connect back with them I just thought that that was right because they are in the same they are in the same I just thought that that would be a really I thought the guy did a really nice job 
maintaining that, but also there was this warmth there that you may not have gotten had they not been in that same room together. I just thought it was, you know, rather than was watching a, you know, a fully rendered, like, I'm in your nursery, here I am, just the choice to have them in that stark room together was just really interesting and probably cheaper, but uh, <laughs> interesting nonetheless. I like the throwback to the old uniforms, honestly. That was really kind of cool, seeing the uh, TOS stuff. It's looked more like an adult crew member in this episode mm-hmm. than, than he has before. They, they're styling him much more adult. Doesn't um, wave, though. We tried to grab him. <laughs> God, it's so fascinating. <laughs> Moving along by Dad. Fam walks up to JLP. They walk into some random part of the grounds to get transported because it can't go through wooden walls <laughs> built in 1973. Renee says, I ever so wish that I can possibly go to space someday. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, yeah, sure. Someday, kid. Robert gives him a bottle. Says, get fucked up, but not alone, which is good advice. I love that. Yeah, that's smart. Yeah, not all at once and not alone. And we're going to see that bottle again. Oh, is that right? Yep. That's exciting. You'll tell me. I will. Okay, thank you. Uh, They all walk off. We get one more view of Space Dock because fuck yes, we deserve it. (laughs) Uh, Is there anything you want while you're here, Worf? And he says he might need some of his Ma's blood pie. Welcome back, Captain. Meet my parents. That was cute. Uh, dad gets embarrassing again and they push him they literally push him out the door I have schematics at home (laughs) that's so good it's just so good Uh, and then we cut down to the to the surface one more time to Renee outside looking at the stars the mom Marie says maybe we'll call him in and this is where I was going to talk about it Kate that very nice relationship between the two of them where he just kisses her on the cheek kind of breathes in her perfume and hugs her and says, no, let him dream. And you get this very awe moment from this very nice family. Aww. Now get an email address. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's a moment of change here there too for Robert, which I really like this scene where earlier on he says, let me raise my, my son. Don't give him these fanciful ideas to go off and chase a starship. Mm-hmm. And by the end of this, Robert is like, no, I mean, you can be like Jean-Luc. I guess you're okay. you can you can have some of his yeah. qualities. Let him dream. I can always make another one. <laughs> <laughs> Not, he's very old. Yeah. Soon. All right, so that's the episode. Um, I, I thought it was a very fine one myself. Uh, so we're going to go around and, and see what we thought of this particular one. How about we start with you, Greg Tito? I like this episode a lot because it is so quiet, because it is not, uh, you know, uber sci-fi. It is about delving into these characters that we um, have been living with for the last three seasons and learning more about them. So I'm going to give this one eight and a half bottles of 57 or 47 or whatever bottles they were drinking um, because it looked really delicious. And I wanted to drink some of that wine with them while I was watching this episode. It's you know, it's not always easy to balance three stories the way they kind of do, but they all feel thematically the same and they all feel like they have a resolution. So it was uh, a really well made uh, episode in that regard. And the acting, as we've been saying throughout, just kind of really sells it. And I am eternally disappointed that Picard season two took all of the stuff from this episode and fumbled with it. So, yeah. So, uh, 
zero stars to that season, but eight and a half uh, for this one. <laughs> Yay! I'll take that eight and a half and raise you a Jimmy G. What you got? Uh, I really enjoy the episode. You know, there's that, that old saying about if a movie is nothing but special effects, it's not special effects. They're just effects. Um, and I love sci-fi. And uh, part of loving sci-fi is that not everything in sci-fi has to be all spaceships and outer space. You can you, you can show the future and how similar we are. we're always going to be because of human nature. So it was really great to see the human dynamics all the way around and not to be culturally insensitive to Worf uh, by saying human <laughs> there. Uh, <laughs> um, and so I would have given this like a nine ish, but after Uh-oh. hearing some of you guys talk, I really do wish I would have seen even more of the little brother syndrome from Picard um, that this is the one person that makes him feel smaller. Whereas in every other aspect of his life, he loom large. He, he sucks the oxygen out of the room. He is always the biggest thing around because of how magnificent he is. And in this, it would have been really nice to really accentuate that, oh, there's a one time when he's around this guy, he's little Picard and not giant JLP. And that lowers it for me, not much. I'm still gonna give it, um, I'm gonna give it eight. And because this is as brilliant as the episode, I'm gonna give it eight microphones in the window slat because I believe that is how Eric Curry is holding up his microphone this episode. Uh, well done. <laughs> you are correct. And I think that's ingenious. Well, thank you, Jimmy G. Um, Kate Yeager, tell me about your thoughts on this particular episode uh, of Star Trek The Next Generation. I'm going to give this uh, nine old men mud wrestling. <laughs> Fight back. Uh, I think that this is... Uh, much higher than I would have given it at the time. Like, I would love to think that I was uh, the lover of story that you thought that I might be at the beginning of this episode, you know, falling in love with storytelling and (laughs) falling in love, which I absolutely was. But uh, this episode would have been a little over my head, I think, in terms of how well done and well crafted it is. Um, I think that that time and age have softened me towards this story in a way that uh, that I wouldn't have been able to have connected to it before. Um, but I just, I, I love the three different family dynamics, um, you know, especially the, I, I think I just had a much more appreciation for the Wharf storyline, uh, the sort of the B plot um, and what that tells us about him and why he is the way he is. Uh, and two just really phenomenal performances by those brothers. Oh, wait, that's the next episode. I meant to say family in this episode. (laughs) I love it. I'm going to give it nine and a half Tony nominations because I stopped counting there when I went through the cast. Um, I am desperately in love with this episode. It's, It's one of my probably top six or seven in the uh, series and uh i'm just delighted to have gotten to talk about it with uh you three my three good friends um that's all i got my pants are wet so i'm gonna take a little break all right thanks everybody